Well, Fresh Text is a weekly podcast where we uh, crack open the uh, text assigned based on the, the revised common lectionary uh, that not everyone necessarily uses, but at least it's a, usually will be a seasonally relevant passage assigned for the upcoming uh, Sunday. And so we're just going to do that, open it up and uh, prayerfully and playfully engage the text and uh, see what comes out and maybe swap some sermon ideas. So this hopefully is really useful to you if you're a pastor, but even if you're not, uh, anybody uh, who wants to engage deeper in the scriptures, hopefully you'll uh, find some benefit here. So I'm getting my phone out here that has, uh, I have a website with uh, revised common lectionary on it. Um, so that's easy to find. If you ever want to plan ahead, you can just type in revised common lectionary into the uh, into Google and you'll find one of the websites. So I'm opening up to year C. It just automatically goes to that year C. It, we're in, it's a three year cycle ABC. Um, it's year C and it's, this would be for the, uh, let's see, second Sunday after the epiphany. So epiphany is January 6th, the day after the 12th day of Christmas. And then the weeks followed after that are marked accordingly. So the third Sunday, is that what I said? Or second? Yeah. Third. Second, second Sunday, it'd be the third one, but because the first, yeah, because Epiphany landed on a Sunday this year. So the second Sunday after Epiphany, which would be for January 20th, 2019. And the text is, there's four texts, but we're going to focus on the gospel right for now, is John chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. John chapter 2, and I'm smirking and waiting for Aaron's smirk when he sees what that means. So, a familiar passage, I imagine. Have you seen this one before, Aaron? <laughs> <laughs> I was wondering if I'd preached it recently, but I haven't. Yeah, but uh, definitely spent some time in. So this is John chapter 2, verses 1 through 11, if you want to just listen along or read along, if you want. Uh, do you want to, you mind reading? No, not Smoke, at all. Go so for this it. is from the NIV. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. Dear woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, My time has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from twenty to thirty gallons. Jesus said to the servants, Fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, Draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, Everyone brings out the choice wine first, and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. This, the first of his miraculous signs, Jesus performed at Cana in Galilee. He thus revealed his glory, and his disciples put their faith in him. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. All right. It was occurring to me this morning um, as we were, um, as I was getting ready for recording today, that I was doing often a little prayer or a poem at the end. And it occurred to me, it's like, well, I don't know, maybe uh, maybe prayer is a little perfunctory only at the end. Maybe it'd be okay to say a prayer like to get us started 
having read it. So can I say a word of prayer? And um, yeah, Father, um, I feel super awkward always to pray uh, recorded. <laughs> it just feels weird, but uh, I don't know. Maybe it has its own way of being a sign of your uh, more uh, masterful relationship to time. So here we are in this moment and hear whoever is listening to this in the moment that they're in. And we simply ask that in this moment, uh, you would pour out your spirit afresh on us. We trust that your spirit is already in and among us, uh, drawing us into your son, Jesus. But occasionally your spirit falls on us uh, with authority uh, and with insight uh, for a task at hand. And the task at hand right now is to study this word, um, these words that were written about your enfleshed word, Jesus Christ. And so we ask for a fresh outpouring of your spirit to give us the insight and the patience uh, to attend to what you have to say to us today. This we ask in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. I hope you'll still tell jokes, even though I just prayed and made it serious. <laughs> you know, like fresh stuff about being fresh. Yeah. That was your joke. I, I was. That's true. I, I did not make that one. Yeah. The problem, that's why you needed to pray. Ah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was a prayer of confession, right? <laughs> okay. Well, uh, what jumps out at you uh, today? Anything jump immediately, connect with you? Well, I mean, just kind of letting people in on, on the process. is like nothing really jumps out immediately whenever you're familiar with a passage like this, right? Like yeah. everything that jumps out is something that's that's been stewing for a while, most likely. And so if you have insights or ones that have probably been had from before or that you've read or whatever else, which is... It's not bad. That, that's a good mm. thing that, that, that those insights would come back to mind. But just so that, that listeners are like, oh, those things didn't just come to either of our minds yeah. right in this moment. So I've got, I've got my cheater Bible here, right? I've got the Bible that I've used mm. for about 20 years. And so I've got notes in it and, and all kinds of things. So, so things that stand out to me right now are because I've written them in there before. But, ah. but one of them that I want to bring out is right at the end, verse 11. I've got this little note, uh, the chief of his miraculous signs also, uh, can be translated the, or sorry, the first of his miraculous signs can also be translated the chief. And you use the, the word, um, I can't remember where it was in the prayer, but you use the word master. This could be the master. This is the yeah. master sign, yep. right? That kind of controls all the other ones. And, and if we're going to understand what the other signs are from the Gospel of John, of course, there are seven, then we have to get this hmm. one, right? This is the chief one. This is the, it's the first one. It's the chief one. It's the ruling one. It's like the, it's like the, the one it that, sets the that binds them all, right? Binds them all together. <laughs> one one sign to sign. rule them. Yeah. The the arche, yeah. right? It's yeah. arcane, yeah. which is, uh, that's the root word that's in democ, you know. Uh, no, 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 I was going to use, uh, what's a word that has that in it? I don't know. I kind of lost it. Um, we could have not crossy. Ar this Arca Archan archangel. Archangel would be that. Yeah, yeah. Chief angel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like the first, and it has a. It does Arch have that Archbishop. sense of first or yeah. beginning, um, because it has a. If you had a a host of, you know, a, a group of you know a thousand soldiers, the guy who stands out in front, mm -hmm. you know, and and leads them is the the arch, the ark. Actually, it appears in the first sentence of the book of John. Ente, arche in the beginning. Mm. 
which is in the Greek translation of the Old Testament, which is called the Septuagint that they would have read at the time. It begins with ente arche. Uh, so in the beginning. So this is the beginning. So we're still in the theme of beginnings, which is relevant because, of course, the opening line has on the third day, right, implying that this is mm-hmm. a continuation. It's actually an argument could be made that if you were going to break – I mean, it's all it, – the, the chapter breaks are not original. The verse breaks are definitely not original. Um, I don't know why I made them more definite. Oh, yeah, because they're later. I mean, the verse numbers were not added till about 400 right. years ago. Very recent. Chapter number is much older. So there's a much longer tradition than that. But even those are not part of the original text. And it's sometimes a fun thought experiment since you're talking about looking behind the curtain. One of the things I often do when I'm playing with a text is like, Okay. I'll often, even if I'm working on a text, I'll, you know, cut and paste that out from online and take all the verse numbers out and -hmm. just work with it without verse numbers. Because sometimes those affect the rhythm of the passage in a way that might mislead me. Not because they're wrong. They're for reference, but that's the point is they're for reference. Um, And I'll even sometimes think like, well, where would I, if I'm looking at a larger chunk, I'll ask like, where would I put the chapter break? Like if I was in the room when we're making those decisions, you know, and I would feel very comfortable moving the chapter break to to chap, you know, to verse 12 or 13 here. Cause this really, there's a change of location. Cause there, the, the scene before is, is the baptism of Jesus and the, and the, some of John's disciples going over and joining him, but then they head up to Galilee. So there's this very much a change of location from Judea to Galilee. Um, but it's clearly a kind of all one event. It's kind of their, the first sign that happens as the kind of moment. Cause it says his disciples and believed in him. So they're getting this revelation of the glory. Um, so it's very much connected to the previous moment. Although it's connected to the following in, in important, fun ways too. But um, yeah, I don't know the, why did I bring all that. Up? Oh, because arche, right? The arch, the arch sign. Interpret this, and you'll have a sense a little bit of what's to come, which fits because it's in a way the the last. It's the final moment of the beginning of the gospel of John. It kind of comes to its close here, you know, because yeah. even back in verse fourteen of chapter one, it says. Um, I, I want to look because I don't want to quote it wrong, but you know, and the word became flesh and dwelled among us and we beheld his glory, right? Glory is an only son, etc. Right. We beheld his glory. And then here we have at the end of this one, right? Chapter um, two, verse 11. This is the first of his signs that he performed in Cana of Galilee and his glory was manifested to them. Right. And they believed into him, his disciples. Right. So the glory, right. His glory is getting manifested, getting revealed. So this is the initial fulfillment of what he's talking about back Mm -hmm. in verse 14. Is this making sense? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think putting it, I I like the idea of changing the chapter location because this really is the culmination of this first week of Jesus ministry. I mean, you don't necessarily get that if you read it on the third day, but this being on the third day is either... I mean, you can read, there's different, I can't remember exactly what they are, but there's different ways that this could be placed yes. either on different days. But there is something very much happening that this is like a culminating event of this first week of ministry. Um, and if you just go back and in, in John 1, John one twenty nine, he's got the next day. So there's like a day and then the next day, mm-hmm. uh, John one forty three, he's got the next day. Um, the disciples That's that right. go with Jesus, they spend the day with him. Uh, just before that, so there's there's a sense of these days happening in rhythm, and then and then right one John, of those is the Sabbath, so we could guess what day of the week this is. It's either a, like a Tuesday or a Wednesday, depending on how you add up. You and, know, is it after the third day or on the third day? You know, right. it's kind of tricky, but and, yeah. Well, and, and either way, it's like John's point of it in saying on the third day, like, cl- clearly a resurrection illusion. Here. <laughs> yeah, you think there's something <laughs> happening here. 
Um, but but all that very, being very very carefully structured uh, to show us that there's a there's a progression of time here. There's there's things that are unfolding and kind of reaching their climax in in this, which is a, a foreshadowing of of resurrection as well. The the glory that was going to be revealed. Yeah. And, well, if we're going to talk about third day, which is the day of his resurrection, death and resurrection, and the time of year that is, that's. This is the one reason to not move the chap or to move the chapter two and make all of chapter one and two one. Of course, then you have to go to chapter three. I mean, it's tricky with John, but because we left out the, the, the lectionary left out verse 12, which is fine because it kind of moves us on. But it says, after this, they went up into Capernaum, he did, and his disciples and um, the brothers and the disciples of him. And they s- remained there. Um, for, uh, Polos, Hemeras, I think it's, is that a many days or a few, few days? A few days is how I know. Yeah. I mean, it, it yeah, it's, it doesn't mean a long time. It means days. And then verse 13 and the Passover was at hand, right? So hmm. Passover seasons coming up in this whole opening sequence. And remember what John the Baptist says about Jesus, he's behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So you can kind of think of the whole of his first week of ministry as a Passover scene, um, and I think it's appropriate to do that because it's like it's right what it's just it's coming right. It's only going to be at most you know a few weeks off, um, and explains you know he's in Judea near to Jerusalem. He goes back up for the wedding and then comes back down for Passover, and I, that just seems relevant because of. On the third day, that's a, an additional confirmation that he's kind of – there's a lot of foreshadowing going on here of the end. You know, the beginning and the end of the book are rhyming, mm. uh, which is relevant when you say that it's the arch sign. Yeah. Because, of course, all the signs are really pointing to his glory, which is truly revealed in his death and resurrection. Um, and the signs are – they're signs. They point away. They're, the signs are never a point. You know, mm-hmm. the, they're always pointing away. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's already planting all these seeds, I think, of of – of the the death and resurrection to come. That's at least how I've come to start paying attention to this story because you get the first reference to his hour in verse 4, right? Mm-hmm. My time has not yet come. My hour has not yet mm-hmm. come. So that's the first time he references that and that's a theme in the rest of the book, right? He's not going to, he's, you know, what happens to him happens because of the hour, you know? Do you make anything of there being six stone <laughs> water jars here? Is that, is that number symbolic? I got nothing on that, man. I've looked into it. Have you had viewer? Well, I've, I've scratched that itch a few times, but never the, gotten anywhere only, with it. The only thing that, that that strikes me, and this is a perhaps, right? This is this is just kind of playing with the text and seeing, is that the woman at the well leaves her her water jar behind, and that makes the seventh jar. Dude, and, and, <laughs> that's and, cool. And and the woman at the well as well, of course, has five five husbands. The man he's with, she's with now is not her husband. And then it's like the seventh man she meets is Jesus, right? So it's like Whoa. the seventh man she meets is Jesus and leaves behind the seventh jar. And, of course, these are ceremonial ceremonial washing jars. There's a sense of and, – and women can stand in for Israel. And I wonder if there's a that sense That I'm of like, on board with, like, yeah. Like Israel is leaving – so uh, just to flesh it out – in in the Gospel of John, uh, women can be symbolic of, of Israel as a whole, and and if the woman is indeed leaving behind the seventh jar, is kind of leaving behind that that ceremonialism to go with Jesus, 
maybe that's there, right? Maybe, maybe there's something to six stars. I don't know. I just, I always like to toss it out to see if somebody else has like thought about it or read about it or whatever else. But that's part of the discovery of a text, right? It's like you, you, you see how else does it, how, how would John want us to read this? Would he want us to put six in the back of our mind, especially when he's been careful to number the days, you know? We're not clear on how he's numbered the days necessarily. Like, does does a uh, does the staying a day with him count for a day back in in chapter one? But I don't know. It, it makes you wonder. It makes you wonder. Is there something there? That's part of the observational process. Because if it's if it's wow, dude, you're. I mean, I've been chatting with our producer about you know like you know dead time, dead air, right? And we're always like back and forth where it's like. Dead air performs a function on fresh text. Like this is a this is not pre you know planned discussion. We're experiencing it, and the fact is, is we're just thinking. And I just had a moment of just like dumbfounded excitement that that could be possible. Um, at first, like the the number seven attached to the seven signs is actually not as that's where I thought you were going to go at first, and I was gonna. Uh, be the turd in the punch bowl and be like, eh, maybe there's seven. That, that the, the the book of John does not highlight the notion of seven. It says the first sign and it has a second sign in Cana. There's often ref, common references to he performed many signs. Mm-hmm. So he, mm-hmm. and yeah, okay, maybe there's seven, but I, I'm not entirely convinced that that's a, like a deep structural theme. Although I'm now much more open to it. Uh <laughs> By this notion of the six jars and the jar that comes up later and leaving her jar behind, which is such a weird little detail Mm -hmm. and the number of husbands. I'm really loosening up on this. I definitely – and the way you connected it up with this, the woman at the well who he also addressed as woman, Mm. right? Um, Mm -hmm. right. And and we see his mother again who's never named Mary in John. We see her addressed as woman again in chapter 19 – right before his death mm-hmm. at Passover two mm-hmm. years later, according to the rendering here. Um, right. But, and the beloved disciples there, cause you talked about who, if the woman is the image of Israel, then it's possible that disciples in general or beloved disciple in particular is symbol of church mm-hmm. and, you know, Israel being kind of put into the care of, the church. I don't know if that's how John's thinking about it, but there's something symbolic happening in the woman. Here's your son, son. Mm-hmm. Here's your woman. This kind of marrying mm-hmm. of Jew and Gentile. Although he's not a Gentile, he's he's he kind of symbolizes that in a way. Maybe um, the 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 bringing in of the community, um, especially because he says he says his hour has come. The moment Gentiles show up and ask for him, mm-hmm. some Greeks yeah, that, show that, up. That's the sign. So there's clearly a, some connection, right? So this. Uh, and the rhyming of this passage and the Passover timing of it and the fact that you have water and wine and then out of his side comes water and blood. Right. It seems something's happening. Yeah. Now, now it's one of these things where like, I can sometimes feel really confident that John, that something in John is a symbol. I'm seldom confident what it's symbolizing. <laughs> Does that make sense? So like, I can feel really confident. Like there's no, these are not just coincidences. He's leaving little crumbs for us. And but, but it may not even be a coincidence that it's, that it's ambiguous because he may want us to, he may even, he may not even have in mind what these symbols are. I mean, the ancients, of course, you know, the ancient fathers would have assumed that John didn't even know what he was doing and the Holy Spirit was 
dropping these little nuggets for us. Do you know what I mean? Uh, um, and I, I have mixed feelings about that approach because sometimes that means I get to decide what the text means. Uh, but, uh, cause God's telling me right now and it's like, you want to be careful with that, but, but nevertheless, these little nuggets, I don't know, man, I, the connection between this and what comes at the end just seems so striking. And the possibility that there's well, and, six, I mean, the ceremonial washing, they're huge jars too. I yeah. don't know. Yeah. Um, they're like those huge jars you'll see at a Mexican restaurant, you know, with these, like those big jars, you know, these aren't tiny little buckets. These are big old jars. And thinking about the, so water symbolic of the spirit in the gospel of John, uh, yeah. water and blood coming from his side at the death is, is when Jesus gives over his spirit, right? Yes. Like, like his spirit is coming out yes. from him. And, and what a cool, I don't know. It, there's definitely ways that you can play with it. There's definitely ways that you could think about the the spirit being the best who was saved until now, right? Think about that in the, right. in the story of scripture is like this this hinting, this this promise of mm. of the of the covenant being written on our heart, the cleansing on our mind, right? This promise of the spirit and this this continual expectation, but it's like put in the story form. It's like this: re- the spirit really is the best saved until now, mm. right? Given given by Jesus in this in this transforming moment, not not in a way that huh. sets aside the previous part of the story, but through Corporates the previous it. Yeah, yeah. part of the story. If if indeed that's the six ceremonial jars, the six jars for ceremonial cleansing, right? It's, it's just a, it's a, and I've seen John do this elsewhere. There's a passage whenever Jesus. Uh, washes his disciples' feet, and and mm-hmm. he has this little line where he says, after he had finished washing their feet, uh, he put his robe back on and took his and took his place at the table, which tells the whole story of Jesus mm-hmm. in one line: crucifixion, <laughs> crucifixion, uh, resurrection, and ascension. Right? He puts his clothes back on, he's reclothed, and goes back to his clo- and, yeah. and takes his place again. And I mean, you can look at it. This story can tell can be a mini version of so much of the story of scripture where there's this, there's this celebration happening. There's these expectations. Um, but, but the, the party is running out. The party's run out. They need something more. Mm-hmm. And here comes Jesus at just the right time to take, right. to take what they've got, right? What, what, uh, uh, th- these, these six stone jars just seem to be, they're just nearby, right? They're just there, right? He takes what they've got. He invites them into the story. It's transformed and the party is saved. And, and in fact, is is not simply saved, but is taken to another level, right? The 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 host says, and everybody else saves the, the, the cheap wine for the end. You've brought out the best, right? You Now you've given us the best. And there's a way that you could look at the whole story of scripture as that, right? Uh, you, you saved the best, the whole, your very presence in the Holy Spirit. You saved him till now. And now, now we are, are in a new, new way. Maybe. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Great idea. Or maybe not. Well, but it gets the last line of the text. I mean, this is often important, I find, in so-called miracle stories, which, of course, you know, I'm not saying this isn't a miracle. I'm saying the Gospel of John does not call them miracles and, like, goes out of the way. And even the other Gospels, like – Miracles for miracles sake, Jesus isn't actually a big fan of. He's like, I don't want to do miracles to show things off and to prove who I am, you know. Um, but he will perform a sign, a well-appointed sign that will manifest his glory, his true identity for the sake of faith. That's the point, right? That's the, the denouement in verse 11. But, but it's kind of funny, like when we, when we do a miracle story, it's very, we, it's really easy for me to get drawn into the moment. 
Although actually the moment of water changing into wine doesn't get specified. It's just somewhere between pouring mm-hmm. them mm-hmm. and drinking it. It had become wine, but it's in like a, it's in like a subordinate clause. And when he drank the water, which in the meantime had become wine, like, whoa, tell us about that. Right. It just takes it for granted. Oh, now it's, now it's wine. And then it's really the, 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 the speech of the master of ceremonies that really gets the crescendo of the story. Mm. Right. And it's, you know, you have kept the be- the good wine until now right gets that's that's the the punchline of the story right so it, it 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 i feel like that really confirms your insight that there's a kind of larger narrative getting put in the put in this small narrative mm-hmm. of just this little moment mm-hmm. this little relatively private moment of a wedding you get this kind mm-hmm. of parable uh, of the whole of God's covenant history with us right? yeah. <laughs> is the, yeah. is the series of relationships and movements between God. And, but then right at the right time, you know, uh, <clears throat> he brings the gift of the spirit and of his blood. Yeah. Well, man, it's, it's, it's almost half hour. We should probably take a little break and, uh, maybe come back and start swapping sermon ideas. Is that all right? That sounds good. Okay. I'm ready. Okay, we're back. Welcome back to Fresh Text. We spent some time, uh, you know, prayerfully, playfully uh, engaging the text, which this week is John 2, verse 1 through 11, which is for the second Sunday after um, Epiphany. This is one of the classic Epiphany texts, in fact, because it's a manifestation, Epiphanos, of his glory. That word even appears uh, in, the, uh, in, the, in the original. So this is this, uh, this moment of his revelation uh, to his disciples and we were swapping just our observations from the past and from now. And Aaron was blowing me away with his, <laughs> his numerological, uh, <laughs> speculations that were really interesting and fascinating. So, but, uh, as you start turning, if you were like, okay, where might you go in terms of preaching something like this? What are some ideas you might have? Well, let me share one I got from, from preacher that you and I, get to hear quite often Steve Deneff. And and I tried to put it in because I, I always wonder how does Mary's how would Mary say these words? Like if you read this huh. as as a as a drama, how would Mary have seen would these have been anxious words? Like uh, they, ha- they have no more wine. Would they have would they have been huh. like annoyed words? They got no more wine. Like what are they doing? Do they, don't they don't they know what's going <laughs> on? And, and, you know, you can even read Jesus's words, like, how does he say my time has not yet come? Of course, it's couched in the broader sense of John's gospel. Um, but does he say, is he saying like, oh man, like my time to leave has not yet come. Like, I don't want to stop partying here. Like, I don't mm. want this, I don't want this party to end or, or, um, or is it kind of like a, a putting off? Like, why are you bothering me? Like mm-hmm. my, my time hasn't yet come. Like there's, there, there's different ways you can read that. So I put myself into this story if if this w- if I was the one whose honor was on the line with this party that's going to have a bad ending and and interestingly leave a sour taste in people's mouths right mm. their honor is saved and I think there's something noteworthy about that that Jesus saves the honor of these people putting on the party and it doesn't do away that that's his glory like his glory is to save them like his glory is to is to is to keep them from experiencing this major social breakdown and and interestingly like his glory is revealed but not to everybody uh-huh you know it's like his glory is revealed but 
in a sense, they get way more glory, right? They get That's way right. more glory. That's that good. They, they brought the, and I think there's something in uh, something that that we as a church, if I was going to preach this, I, I think I'd start playing with that. Is there something there to be reminded that that the glory of Jesus is not in competition with ours? <sighs> there's there's one huh. there, and also to be reminded that we if if we are receiving glory maybe as a church or maybe in our lives or whatever else to be reminded that, that there's a, a glory behind the scenes that, that belongs to Jesus. And that's what we ought to be looking for. Cause this is a sign, right? This, this itself isn't, this itself isn't the point. Mm-hmm. The point is not our glory. The point is a sign about, Oh, the glory of Jesus here is pointing to something more. And, and so I'm uh, either one of those would be ways that you could kind of fashion it towards people who are listening in, right. To be reminded that, that at their point of, of, um, embarrassment at their point where life is teetering on that edge. Jesus is taking what's nearby to, to bring it back. There's a way you could preach that. Or as a reminder, if things are going well and you're experiencing glory and the favor of God, hmm. that, that to be looking behind the scenes and where is the glory of God really? How, how can you see the glory of the God where other people might be missing it? Cause they're, they're focused on, on, kind of the outward, but you can see through that, which is all good. It's good. Um, but you can see through that to see the glory of, of God in ways that, that only a few people are. And what is that pointing to? Right? What's that, what's the, what's that signifying? So those, I'm trying to enter into the, the social anxiety. That, that yes. And, and see how that might play out to the, in the lives of my people. Yeah. That's a, that's such a classic example of we, you probably heard me joke about this before, but the, tendency to be like, well, you know, in that culture, running out of wine would have been a real embarrassment and would have hurt their honor. And I'm kind of like, in our culture, running out of stuff at a wedding is, yeah. I mean, like you actually can conceive that even in our own time. I mean, yeah, sure. there's cultural differences, but uh, sometimes we do that, the cultural stuff in a kind of uh, esoteric way where it's like, oh, if you really understood their world, it's like, well, actually there's a lot of points of contact. Absolutely. If you're just paying attention, we still get yeah. honor and shame. Like, Absolutely. We don't, we, don't, we don't trade as, as overtly with it, but we still get, and it, it doesn't have the kind of like legal bindingness that mm-hmm. it would have had in the middle yeah. ages. That's what's our culture is different in that honor. And the way I would look at it, at least is that, that we're still honor shame creatures. We just, uh, um, it just has no legal status. We think somebody's, if you, you know, if I try to, you know, uh, if I duel with you because you insulted me, like people think uh, that's lawlessness. We, we regard that as, you know, it's, that's merely a private matter, so to speak. You know, we, we've rendered it private, a private concern, not a public good the way mm-hmm. I think it would have been. So I think our culture is different in that regard, but, but the actual need for honor and the, and the, the way that shame affects us, that's just a human condition. Yeah. There's nothing exclusively ancient about that. And I think your choice to kind of notice that and like play with that in order to make a point of contact with your, your hearers as a preacher, I think would be really powerful because you can put people in this kind of situation and we all have, we can all resonate with these moments of concern, you know, for family members, for friends. Um, you know, and, and the different ways of responding to that, you know, do you, do we respond with care? Do we want to help them? But are we overdoing it? Are we trying to fix it? You know, mm. like, and to say that even in that gl- exchange of glory, g- even in that Christ's glory can be subtly revealed to yeah. his disciples, to those yeah. who are following him. Yeah. I think it's really cool, man. Yeah. And especially honor and shame is being played out really <clears throat> In, in pop culture ways right now, yeah, especially with some of the issues of, of sexuality and abuse and power that 
there's some fo- folks in Hollywood, if they are found, they can be found not guilty and they will never work That's another right. day because they, right. they are ashamed. And, yeah. and there's, sh- their shame is going to reflect on those who would hire them. Right. And so we, we get that. I mean, social media right. has made, right. has, has made shame a very powerful weapon. And our people play that out in their lives in small ways. Um, and especially after the holidays, right? Like you, yeah. there's certain people that you have over because you want to, you want to be with them. There's some people that you have over because you want to impress them. Right. right? Even if they can do nothing for you, like in the first century, the sense of, of honor and shame would be important because you may, you maintain these relationships because they can help you live life successfully and, and have a life. But there, there's really nothing at stake. It's a private matter, but, but if they're impressed and you're going the stakes to, are so high because exactly, it's just exactly. human life. So I yeah. think there's ways that pe- our people get, think that, so. get that it's just intuitively. And it might take us kind of like pointing it out a little bit, mm-hmm. but, but I don't think a whole lot. I think they would really get, oh man, how would I feel in that circumstance? Yeah. Yeah. I think I, like you say, pointing it out matters because I think we all have the experiences. We don't always have the language for it yeah. because the honor shame languages mm-hmm. feels foreign to us mm-hmm. because it's been. Like you said earlier, legally, you could be declared, you know, innocent and yet, mm-hmm. right? And so we understand a kind of the legal world separated from honor and shame, in which a way wouldn't have been true then. I mean, your, your, your honor was relevant to your status legally. Yep. Yep. <laughs> that's, that's what's foreign to us, maybe for good, but that's, that's super great. I think that's, that's, that's really exciting. Well, it would, I, I, what I, what I was thinking about would ironically like, could end up being a theme in that same sermon, you know, just mm-hmm. kind of picking it up from the other end for me, like, um, it, it really zooming in on verse 11 and then just building up to that in terms of how a sermon would unfold. But I'm thinking like, what's the winkle? What's the angle? My angle would be like, it's linked to your, I, I have a new thought about it, like the arch, the arch sign. So some clue about what signs are for, what are signs for? What is the purpose of a sign? A sign is to reveal glory, which in turn invites faith, right? Putting their faith in him, right? Um, and it's like that, that, so it's like sign is to reveal, right? Um, and revelation is for faith. Okay. I know that's kind of abstract, but that's kind of where I would pick it up is want to think about what does it look like to be, to live a life paying attention to signs, right? Mm-hmm. And notice even and and actually, you could even play with this. That notice how we were trying to interpret the signs, and we got uh, we had ideas, you know. But it doesn't say at the end. And the disciples studied and discussed this sign and <laughs> came to a deeper awareness yeah. of the logic of the covenant. You know, it's like yeah. okay, that's fine, that's all good. But like, it's putting their trust in Him. I believe in Jesus. I trust you. That's what He's looking for. He's looking for our trust, which is, by the way, why the signs are never the point. Because actually, He indicates a lot. It'd be better if you put faith in me without a sign. (laughs) I give you the sign, however, as help, right? He says at some point, I think in chapter 13 or 14, uh, uh, believe in me. Um, but if you don't believe in me, then believe in the works Mm -hmm. that have been done in me and the works and signs, similar language. Um, and it's almost implying like these are a help. They're there for you. Right. Or, or with Thomas, right. He looks at the camera and says, blessed are those who without seeing believe. So, so you don't have to actually see, the glory the way the disciples did to believe. Yeah. Um, but we all see signs, right? And and what does it even mean to pray for a sign, even pray for a miracle in a way that isn't just, will you please do me a personal favor, God? I mean, I think it's okay to ask for personal favors from God, but it seems more aligned with his will to say, God, 
reveal your son, Jesus. Mm. May he be revealed in this, this, this need. Mm. Meet this need, not just to meet the need, because the fact is, is even those who are, you know, they'll run out of wine again. That's the thing. Isn't it? None of the miracles are like permanent. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. They're all temporary, but they're signs. And they, so that, I mean, I've been learning to pray this way, like God perform this miracle so that we may put our trust more deeply in you. Um, like that's the purpose, the aim. I feel like there's something there um, to, to kind of explore, like what are, what, are, what are the signs and how am I responding? Then it can be a real test of a real question that we can ask ourselves. You know, what, what's something that even this season of the year, look back on the last year. What's something God did in the last year in your life? What was the sign? You may not have even recognized at the time. That's right. And how do you now, again, you might interpret it a little bit, but most important, like, what does it mean for you to put your trust in Jesus, to be more trusting of him for the day when the sign is scarier and not as helpful, you know? <laughs> can I, can I try and, and play with something you just do said? Do it, do it. You had, you had, you had a, uh, a line where you said you may not have realized it was a sign until now. Yeah, I and heard I, you mm, that. I, well, something, <laughs> something clicked there. <laughs> well, I'm thinking John. John isn't recording this in real time. That's right. Right. This is this is happening in reflection. Yet the experience of running out of wine is happening in real time. And how important mm. it is for me. I'll say this for me. It, it is possibly the case for listeners as well. But I get into these moments of binds, and I'm I'm praying my way out of them. Huh. And and it's not until after that I look back. And it's only if I look back that I see, mm. oh, that's that's the glory of God that was there when he took the six jars that were kind of lying along the side of my life that I never really had been paying attention to. And and sometimes that's a book. It's like, oh, my goodness. Like I was reading how providential that I was reading this book on fill in the blank at the time, or I was teaching this class with such and such a student who just had a gift of encouragement at this time when I really needed it. You know, you can look back, what, what were the stone jars in my life? What were the, who were the servants that were kind of seeming to be there and putting myself back in that scenario? That's when I start to see the story wasn't really about running out of wine. It was about something else. And when I look back at my own life, that crisis in my own life really wasn't about the crisis, although I felt it in the time. It's in hindsight. It's in looking back. It's in crafting the story that I huh. start to see that was the glory of God. That was what that was what God was doing. That was the that was the point of of all of that, and um, and I think it's a, when I remember that the text is is carefully crafted. It's not just recorded in real time to to get like the right, right, right. The, the moment by moment. And and the same phenomenon is so important for us. When did we run out of wine? And and can we look back and reexamine that story to see what was the glory of God in it? How did God bring us through that He really wants us to see in it, not just to have survived it. Wow, and I like that. That, that. That's not in the text. That's that's the, and I think it's important. That's that's what doing a deep dive into a text does. Because now the text isn't just informing us; it's 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 teaching us by how it was put together. Right, yeah. the practice of this reflection and writing and the community, which John is so brilliant at. That's that now. That's impacting us. It's it's impacting us with its content. It's impacting us with its form, and it's right. impacting us by its phenomenology, how it came about. You know how mm. rich the text can be. Then those are three things that got me excited. That must be true. <laughs> <laughs> if only it rhymed. Uh, <laughs> I, I, wait, I'm sure we can figure it out. Give us enough time. But. Sorry. No, I I really resonate that with that, and it's a very that's an epiphany sermon. You know, even mm. if your sermon, even if your congregation doesn't think in epiphany categories. You don't even have to reference that. Although if you're at a church that's heard of that, then all the better. Or if you want to introduce that, because what is epiphany? It is, it is looking back 
and remembering how was Christ manifested in such a way that we now see what we couldn't have seen at the time. There is that looking back that's mm-hmm. very fitting and very fitting of January and the kind of transition to a new year where you say, you know, um, how was God at work in the past? What story could I tell? And how could I come to a deeper faith? Because I'm starting to pay a little more attention. And you're right. It's not always about being in the moment. Sometimes I beat myself up for not seeing it in the moment. You know, like I, like I look back yeah. and be like, whoa, God was there and I didn't notice. Yeah. And it's like, I'm learning to trade that guilt for gratitude to say, yeah. God was there and I didn't notice, you yeah. know, like, wow, yeah. now, yeah. but now I do. So great. Th- yeah. This will do, yeah. you know, like, yeah. um, yeah, yeah, man, that's exciting. Well, uh, I think the time is, <laughs> the time has come. I, I was studying this passage with some teenagers and you were talking about the tone thing. We don't totally do that when we're not sure, like we'll all go around and everyone will pick a different tone with which some Great. Jesus said something and it's a real, and it's playful, but it's an, that's an, that's an active, inter- that's subtle interpretation sure. trying to bring out the, but one of the things that we really thought was the woman, my time has not yet come. Like we were getting a kick out of that one. And one of the kids, I remember him saying, I'm going to start saying this to my mom when she wakes me up for school. <laughs> Woman, my time has not yet come. I'm like, yeah, good luck with that. <laughs> but yeah, the, our time has now come. I've got, I found a poem uh, riffing on John 2, 1 through 11. So uh, can we end with the poem? So specifically verse 7, Jesus said to them, fill the jars with water. And they filled them to the brim. At this glorious wedding... Feast of West and East, shedding light on love's best, gifts received and given, stands shadowed Mary facing West. Your joy is gone, she says, while always pointing towards her son. Whatever he tells you, do it. Messiah Yesu now commands, fill the jars. Fill the jars with stories that sparkle with surprise, that ferment, the ferment of suspense. Fill the jars with music, the rhythms of grace in drum and dance. Fill the jars with ordinary drops of experience, holy silence, joy in sacrifice. This steward may yet announce, you have saved the best till last and that's all have a good preach 